Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the NDP's support for the speech from the throne comes with conditions. Yes, we have achieved the first part of what we had asked for, which is to make sure the help that goes to families that are going to see their CERB ending in a couple days, that that amount of support does not get cut by $400, which is what the Liberals were proposing. We fought and won for people the same level of support that it's going to remain at $2,000. But the access to the paid sick leave is still something we are working on. The Liberals urge all MPs to support proposed increases to pandemic benefits. Quite frankly, the urgency of this cannot be understated. We we have been signaling all along the, the need to put this legislation forth and have uh, parties agree to the urgency and the need to continue to support uh, workers and families. Um, and vulnerable Canadians who will necessarily rely on these benefits for the months uh, and for the year to come. And finding a way to speed up COVID testing while respecting the independence of Canada's regulatory authorities. Frankly, as a mother, I want to be assured that any medicines, any tests that are used here in Canada have been approved by our regulators without any political interference or pressure. It's Friday, September 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mark. It's nice to hear your voice. Great to connect with you again. And here we are in uh, a new chapter of Canadian politics with the throne speech uh, from this week. Very much front and center. Uh, what's your sense of where the NDP stands and how things will play out uh, leading up to a vote on this speech? Well, I spoke with Jagmeet Singh yesterday, actually after his press conference and earlier in the day. Um, and earlier in the day, he was pretty confident that uh, there would be legislation. And sure enough, about a half an hour later, um, the government tabled Bill C-2, um, which responds to a lot of the things that he had said that he wanted. Now, you probably recall that earlier in September, he said he wanted paid sick leave. Um, and he also said that he wanted this new EI benefit that had been announced in August to extend from $1,600 to $400 a week to $500 a week. Now, at the time, I think a lot of reporters on Parliament Hill thought, well, uh, those are pretty like minimal asks because there's things that behind the scenes the Liberals are saying they're going to do. And even publicly, the sick leave was something that the NDP had gotten as a concession back in June. So it was something that they'd even publicly committed to doing. Um, But of course, uh, there was a bit of surprise that it wasn't in the throne speech. And uh, but it found itself interestingly enough, a day later, um, in this new recovery bill, this quite substantive bill that uh, Carla Qualtrough was quarterbacking in the House. So there's a Canada recovery benefit that has been beefed up to $500 a week, exactly uh, what Mr. Singh wanted, the Canada recovery sickness benefit of $500 for up to two weeks, which is... um, well, which the government says responds to that to that sick leave that it said it was working with the provinces to establish. And basically, in the legislation, what it says is that the sick leave would be available for workers who are sick or who have to isolate for reasons related to COVID-19. Now, uh, the pickle is Mr. Singh says this does not entirely respond to what he wanted. 
And what he actually wants is the ability for somebody to take sick leave for any reason, even reasons that are not related to COVID-19. Um, he told me that his his actual hope is to lay the foundation for paid sick leave, across, for permanent paid sick leave across the country. So he says that negotiations are still undergoing. He's hoping that by access, things like whether or not you need a doctor's note uh, could be eliminated. These seem to be the things that the NDP is trying to negotiate with the Liberals. He says they're very close to a deal, and uh, he's very optimistic. So uh, the drama of whether or not we will have a fall election, I think, is pretty much gone. Yeah, it feels like the pieces are there for the NDP to support uh, the government's agenda here. And then we'll be on to the next thing. Now, regarding all of these benefits, Carla Qualtrough yesterday was talking in terms of making sure there is the support there to move these things forward as quickly as possible. Uh, Are all of these key measures the government has outlined going to be implemented quickly? Well, these are measures that the government has been talking about um, since at least June. Like They've been planning to transition CERB recipients to EI roles uh, for months now. And if they cannot come to an agreement with the opposition parties, because the real concern is that CERB recipients, um, basically the money runs out on September 27th, and we heard Carla Culture yesterday basically warn that like they need a deal very quickly because this, you know, millions of people have been on CERB and to transition all these people, there's a potential um, that even if it goes smoothly, um, there are still people who are going to be left off. So there may be people who are getting benefits, who move on to EI roles because they qualify under the new program, but don't actually see uh, benefits for a week or two. Um, but in that case, and I know you know, it seemed like the government was trying to put the, the squeeze on the opposition in this case. Um, but I think it's worth remembering that when Parliament, when Justin Trudeau went to the Governor General to ask for prorogation, there was actually a sitting day left on that calendar in August, and the Liberals could have passed their piece of legislation uh, in the same way as they're trying to do now. Uh, they would have needed unanimous consent, though, uh, with the parties a month ago. So if people are stuck because they don't get a benefit, uh, it, I think it would be hard for uh, the Liberals to say it's entirely the opposition's fault. You know, there's only a few days left uh, until we're into October. Is the next big milestone uh, the fiscal update with new Finance Minister Christia Freeland and uh, and the uh, obviously a discussion around the enormous deficit that uh, that the, the the government finances are facing going forward. Is that sort of going to be the next thing after the speech from the throne presumably passes? Yeah, it's a really good question because yesterday was also uh, stuck in Bill C-2 is the government is asking the House of Commons to give it carte blanche on all financial matters related to COVID-19. They have this at the moment. Uh, It was part of the all-party agreement, but they only have it until the end of September. They want this power to spend uh, without parliamentary checks until the end of the year. Um, So it's possible that there is no, uh, you know, mini budget, if you will, and that the fiscal update is more like the document that we saw in early July, which is basically just a snapshot of where things are, and that maybe the next real confidence vote actually happens in the spring. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that we're at the end of September and we haven't had a budget in 2020. 
All right, let's talk about COVID testing uh, because there this came up yesterday, and it, it's uh, I know that uh, from the perspective of Canadians and uh, and any sort of uh, detached observer, you just want everything to happen as fast as possible. But there are all kinds of uh, regulatory issues and boundaries and jurisdictional issues that that come up. So Christia Freeland answered some questions about that yesterday because. Obviously, there's a desire to speed up testing, make it more widespread and available, but there are issues that that limit the ability to do that, right? Yeah, I think you're kind of seeing this whole Team Canada approach that we saw that was quite successful when, you know, all hands were on deck in the spring spring. Um, In part, it's because of the very long lines that we're seeing, especially in Ontario, um, where people just especially people with kids who, you know, have the sniffles and have to go get tested to make sure they don't have COVID before they go back to school. Um, the return to school hasn't gone smoothly, and the testing lines are putting pressure on the provincial government. And here you're, you're, you're getting the uh, conservatives and uh, the, the forward uh, people in Ontario saying, you know, we'll, you know approve rapid testing. Um, and uh, in this message on Wednesday, the federal government said that it was creating this uh, testing assistance response team, and a reporter asked Christy Freeland, the deputy prime minister and the finance minister, yesterday about that. And um, you know, like, why are you not uh, approving these rapid tests faster? Because this was basically the subject of most of the questions um, in question period from the conservatives, and also uh, a, a line of attack. I think that Aaron O'Toole and uh, Candace Bergen on Wednesday. Um, levied quite successfully on on the Liberal government. And Freeland went into a very uh, staunch defense of uh, the need to believe in the experts and science um, and basically said, you know, we do not live in a country where politicians make these decisions. And she's very happy she doesn't live in a country where politicians make these decisions. And she wants to ensure that the health authorities, the regulators, are independent and they make their own careful medical judgment on uh, what is safe. And she talked about that as a mother, she really wants to be sure that any medicines uh, and tests that she gives her children are approved without political interference uh, or pressure. And she kind of made a suggestion that she's happy that things are not uh, working in Canada the way that they work down south. She didn't. She didn't point to any specific countries, but she did say. This is not how it's working in some other countries where we've seen interference and pressure on other regulators around the world and that there's been dangerous consequences with that kind of approach and that should not be the approach the government takes. So it was it was interesting. There are, I think, legitimate questions to be asked about why there are some tests that are approved in countries where, um, you know, similar Western countries that have not yet been approved in Canada. Um, you know, speeding up testing yeah. is obviously key, especially with the... Um, with the case numbers that we're seeing these days and the fact that the economy has not grown to a halt much like it was in the spring. So um, it was very interesting to see her do that defense, but also blame the blame <laughs> squarely on the regulators that are arms length right. government. All right. It has definitely been an interesting first week back. Althea, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Oh, thanks, Mark. Have a great weekend. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. Low interest rates mean we can afford it. And in fact, doing less would end up costing far more. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, 
Andrew Coyne calls the throne speech an ambitious plan for an alternate reality. Coyne writes, There was no mention of fiscal anchors, no benchmarks by which to measure commitment to sustainable responsibility, certainly no promise to eliminate or even reduce the deficit. Sum the cost of all the promises strewn through the speech, and it is entirely possible that we will never see another balanced budget in our lifetime. An ambitious plan, the speech calls it, for an unprecedented reality. Unprecedented is certainly one word for it. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues the throne from In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues the throne speech agenda is almost too ambitious to be credible. Wacom writes, The government hasn't narrowed its priorities, it has merely added more. All this is regardless of cost. It will be exceedingly difficult for the minority Liberal government to deliver all of these measures, however useful, before the next election. The failure to assign priorities to these reforms may lead to none of them being implemented. That is often the downside of the scattershot approach. At National Newswatch, K.W. Grafton asks if Aaron O'Toole will have to put the progressive back into conservative. Grafton writes... Aaron O'Toole faces the difficult task of crafting a hybrid platform that appeases both Western conservatives and progressive voters in the East. His challenge will be to unite the many disparate, self-interested parties within the national political mosaic into a cohesive voting bloc with national focus. In order to form the next government, O'Toole may be forced to reconsider his commitment to not move to the middle. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will virtually address the United Nations General Assembly. At noon Eastern time, he'll make an announcement and speak with the media. During his daily COVID-19 update, he will also meet with the Prime Minister's Youth Council. Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will be in Markham, Ontario, to talk about support for early learning and childcare. In Lazo, British Columbia, Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan will welcome the first of 16 new aircraft purchased through the Fixed-Wing Search and Rescue Aircraft Replacement Project. Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will announce support for Canada's audiovisual sector, and Green Party leadership contestants will take part in a national francophone debate. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, September the 25th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great day.